0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by one very cool co-host. Nate Heininger. Thank you, Nate. And uh, this week we're talking about a game called Death Crown. Uh, this game came out late last year. I didn't actually hear about it until pretty recently, um, but I was interested because it's a genre that we don't usually find a lot of short game games in and that's a real-time strategy game death crown is a real-time strategy game uh, that's very stripped down and gives you a campaign that you can play beginning to end in about two hours which is a really rare thing to find
1: yeah we're going to talk about it later in the episode when we really dig into the mechanics Uh, but i have had a place in my heart for rts games for like my entire existence of playing video games and there's a, sort of an argu- argument you could make that, like, a, any individual sit-down uh, with an RTS is a game that respects your time. We could probably fit them into, like, our roguelike, uh, you I, know, exemption that's, that we that's made. I a, that's a barn door that we've left wide
0: open for too long, and I am slamming it here and now. We cannot say that just because you play the game for two hours at a time over the course of a 100-hour thing
1: does not count. <laughs> so... Uh, listen no. i i i you know i'm agreeing with you uh i ex- even though i am now on our like 150 of slay the spire yes and the new character <laughs> just came out so i was almost done i was almost done but um but what i was going to say though is that uh the reason that argument even falls apart though is like the campaigns on those games usually are pretty long yeah uh, a lot of the rts games come with campaigns and they're they're a lot of fun and they are often many, many hours spread over a, a very, very long and sprawling campaign. Whereas this game really does. I mean, I think it took me like an hour and a half to beat this whole game. Yeah, you were better at it
0: than I was. I think I played a lot of these levels many more times than you did based on our conversation earlier.
1: Yeah, but even like, even if you had to play the the game over and over and over, I think one one match, you know, if you will, is like four or five minutes yeah right whereas like a hallmark of most rts's is it is like a sprawling push pull you know that like you're really just trying to get the upper hand on someone and a win may take you know uh quite a long time unless you're doing some sort of like rush tactic um and this one Win or lose, it's you're you're gonna it's gonna be done within just a couple minutes, and that's really hard to pull off in RTS games. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So there are obviously a lot of things to talk about with the specifics of how this game does its unusual take on real time strategy. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about the visuals of the game because they are absolutely the thing that drew me to this game, and yeah. uh, and also the thing that um, I think is going to make it stand out the most. In you know, if you're scrolling through Steam. Uh, you know, we, we, I've I've talked several times on this show about how uh, uniquely weak I am to one bit pixel art, black and white graphics. Right? You know, everything from uh, you know minute to how, I mean, I could I could name a whole bunch. Overhead, is, is a the perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and although that was like three D passed through a filter that gave it a, a, a one bit sure. pixel art style, but you know, essentially the same thing. Anything with that like. Old school, first generation Macintosh, you know, uh, one bit dithering for shading uh, visual style uh, just absolutely works for me. It's just a visual style that I really love. And it's also uh, of the sort of retro pixel art styles, it's probably the rarest. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. see, you know, there's certainly games that do it. uh, And we've played a number of them on the show. I think the most recent would probably be Gato Roboto. Yeah. Um, But there's, there's just not a lot of people working in this style because it's extraordinarily hard, uh, you know, doing really intricate graphics in one bit pixel art style. Like, I mean, just a, a, like, I'm not an artist, but like, just think about the challenge of, I need a, uh, a sprite, you know, uh, like a, a, you know, a character to be able to stand out against a background. Um, my background might be, fairly detailed, but it's also made up of only black and white pixels. And my Mm -hmm. foreground character needs to be able to stand out against that complex background, but it's also
1: only black and white pixels. How do you accomplish that? It's a big, big challenge. And you know, in this case, where uh, this game also manages to make metal as hell cutscenes uh, <laughs> entirely out of uh, one bit pixel art, right? Yeah, that's
0: the other big part of this: is that it's not just one bit pixel art graphics. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Gato Robato. You would never look at this and say, "Oh, that looks just like Gato Robato." What this looks like to me is that somebody sat down and drew like a bunch of really kick-ass metal album covers in
1: Macintosh Paint 1985. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it it's also the thing I think that this game does so well, and it's just kind of layering on top of what you just said is like in our RTS, there's usually a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. And this game is no different. You are managing resources, you're managing uh, a a field of battle, if you will, Uh, you're managing different terrain types, all these different things. And it is all in one bit. And it's all layered on top of each other. And for the most part, you can very quickly gauge this, you know, look at the screen and understand What's going on and what you need to be doing. It's really successful at uh, keeping everything separate and identifiable, and it also has some really cool maps that they do entirely in mm. uh, one bit. The, there's a there's a a world map that you're selecting your uh, sort of your battles from, and it reminded me a little bit of like the world map from something like Hyperlight Drifter, mm. where it, it's like a whole bunch of different things sort of crammed together and and doesn't really represent like a real world, you know, but it's like representative of different areas of a world and it's all in one bit though. And, and really, um, you can spend some time looking at it. Yeah, it, it is very, very successful
0: at making this very complex, uh, game work with this very, very simplified, uh, art style or not simplified exactly, but like really constrained. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There are definitely times, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit once we get down into talking about the uh, the specifics of how the game uh, you know works from the from the gameplay side more. But like, there definitely were times in this game where I felt like I was missing information. Like, there's a lot to take in. You mentioned like you know RTS games; they're busy, right? There's a lot going on on screen at any one time, and sometimes I did feel that like things that I would have liked to be more. Instantly readable were not very readable because they were in black and white. So, for example, like you, you know, if you, one of your buildings is being attacked, it can sometimes be hard to spot that when the enemy characters are these incredibly tiny black and white dudes that are really small on screen, and it's not like anything's like turning red or blinking when your buildings are being attacked. It's it's actually a lot more subtle looking than that. Um, so mm-hmm. there there are definitely times where this Art style that I really really like potentially works against the game in terms of gameplay, but I think that's kind of just part of it. Like the, this is clearly just like something that they they designed around, um, and that is part of the challenge. You know, some, so in in some RTS games, you kind of deceive your opponent by you know launching attacks on multiple fronts uh and maybe the the way that you obfuscate that is by spreading them out. Well here everything happens on a single screen. There's no scrolling around these maps. So if you're going to obfuscate something, you know, if you want to kind of slip something past somebody, uh maybe the fact that all of this stuff is part of a very busy black and white uh image that can sometimes be a little difficult to to really take in all at once. Uh maybe
1: that's part of the design, right? The Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I I think that's more a Result of the pace of this game and less of the art design. Maybe so. Um, Everything is happening so fast and in such a small window that really by time your individual buildings are being attacked. It's probably too late to really save that building. Um, I, I think this game is it's almost like bigger than that. Yeah. As far as the strategy goes if you're spending your time really trying to like beat by beat manage that degree like what buildings are being attacked and trying to counter that individual uh that individual building rather than sort of treating it as like entire zones then i think you're probably going to be beaten before you can even realize like what how you got beaten it's it's much even though the game is is very small and compact, like the strategy is more like big picture zone control. That's a really good point. Yeah, I don't think it really matters that much. I think we need to explain more about, OK, how the strategy or
0: RTS yeah. st- side of this works. Nate, could you kind of give us a bit of a rundown on how
1: this game plays? Yeah, sure. So uh, as Reagan said, the entire game exists in front of you, Uh this is not a, a map with like a fog of war or anything. In fact, you can see a hundred percent of information. You can see everything down to the actual cursor that the enemy controller enemy player is using. So it is you, this is a game of 100% information, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think is an, an interesting part of this, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about. It uh, also tends to be
0: extremely symmetrical.
1: Uh, some of the higher level,
0: uh, enemy or higher level, um, Battles are a little less so, but very often we're talking about a pretty balanced
1: two side. Yeah, game. there there's there's actually like some, uh, you know, most games, but there's most strategy games, but there's some like overlay with chess here, I think. But basically the game is all built out of um, it's a it's a grid of is it octagons uh, probably I think it's hex grid i think it's a hexagon. is it is a hex grid mm-hmm. okay so the entire world is uh broken into hexagons and you have uh your you start with your citadel it's sort of your base uh, and it has a zone of control around it which is a uh basically like a, a little you know wall goes around a, a set of hexes which is you can build within those hexes the way you build is you take your mouse You mouse over one of the hexes, and then there are three buildings you can build. There's either a mine, which generates the only resource in the game, which is gold. There's a tower, which does what towers do and shoots and defends. Mm, Very tower defense. Yep. And there's a barracks that uh, generates...
0: warriors mm. or here we to, to get more specific because in this uh, in the in the main campaign you're exclusively playing as death and we'll talk about the story yeah. <laughs> such as it is a little <laughs> bit later uh but you're playing as death and so your barracks are actually graveyards you're planting graveyards yes. they sort of mausoleum looking buildings
1: and out of those yes, shamble skeleton soldiers yeah that thank you that's that's very important uh coloring and uh and, and so, because everything is simplified, um, there's no unit control. You're not saying, okay, a, 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 a undead warrior costs five gold, and I'm going to queue up like three or four, like you would normally do. Uh, they come out on a set amount of time. Um, there's an upgrade system that more upgraded your barracks is the more, the quicker these, uh, undead warriors shamble out of your graveyard. And then what you do is you select the path in which they will attack so you click on the graveyard, creates a little flag, and then you can drag it. You can either custom create across the hexagons uh, a like a path that they'll walk, or you can just go and click on a target. And until that target is destroyed, or the barracks is destroyed, a steady stream of undead warriors will just spawn out of that. Yeah. And every time you build either a tower or a graveyard, it expands your zone of control, allowing you to build more... Uh, build more buildings, so it's a balance, like all RTSs are, of trying to expand your zone of control while also increase the amount of resources you have in order to, you know, overtake your enemy. Uh, an interesting thing about the world too is that there are these black crystals that are uh, usually like right in the middle of the map, equidistant from both sides. That uh, if you can take them into your zone of control they increase the power of your undead warriors and vice versa. If the other team gets it, their army gets stronger. So there is sort of a, a rush to take control of these, uh, these crystals because everything else is equal. So if you can get control of these crystals, now you have a slightly more powerful army, which compounds on itself. Yeah. And so your goal is to eventually take down the enemy's citadel, which you do by, building enough uh, warriors, undead warriors, and having them go and basically attack the enemy citadel until it, it blows up and you win. Yeah, And the whole thing, you know, the, the, the grids are maybe like from your building, your citadel to their citadel, it's maybe like 15 hexagons across, you know, at, at the most. Some of them are like six to eight. Like these are really small maps and it doesn't take that long for... Most of the map to be covered and for the battle to be going. what I, What I like most
0: about this is how stripped down it is and how that makes it very approachable. You know, RTS games are not something that I've played a whole lot of. You know, I, back in the day I definitely played some Starcraft. I don't think I ever played Starcraft 2 at all, um, just the original one. Um, and then I've played, you know, a few others along the way. Um, but it's not really a genre that I've engaged with very much and certainly not in many years. It's just sort of not my thing. Um, and a part of that is that RTSs always have this sort of feeling of like there's just so much you need to know. like it's like chess if there were 500 different types of uh, of units and you know different uh, chess sets where you might have five people playing each of whose chess sets look completely different. So my, you know, Rook, it looks like a dragon and your Rook looks like a ox or something. And I'm just supposed (laughs) to know that these are equivalent in some way and just know at a glance what all of them do. Like learning a new RTS is really, really daunting. Even if you're just playing through the campaign and not playing any sort of multiplayer, it's just a lot of information to take in. And also the pace is very high. Um, You know, there's, uh, it's the genre that gives us this uh, this concept of like actions per second, right like the you know the, the high level Starcraft players or what have you um, are are just doing things at a pace that makes no sense for human fingers to do right and it's just it's just a genre that's definitely not an approachable genre at least as I see it or you know hasn't felt approachable for me in many years. Um, but the fact that this strips it down, you have three types of units. Your opponent has the same three types of units and the maps are small enough to fit on a single screen without any scrolling whatsoever. Uh, so I can see everything that's happening all at once and I can click on any part of the map at any point. It's not something where I'm constantly having to do a bunch of moving around or what have you. And because the matches are so short, uh, you can iterate on your strategies very quickly without getting frustrated. So, you know, just like something like a, like a very hard platformer, like a Celeste or something where, you know, maybe you're doing a very, very difficult challenge. And that challenge would be absolutely maddening if it was something that took six and a half minutes to queue back up and get to. But because you can get back to that challenge again in 10 seconds, or 30 seconds, uh, trying it 50 times doesn't feel absolutely maddening it's a similar kind of vibe here in that each individual match is not 30 minutes long. It's maybe three or five minutes long. And uh, and because they're, the matches are so short, a defeat doesn't feel as demoralizing. Um, and if you are trying things and trying different ways to approach a a level, you can iterate much more quickly. So I really, really like everything about this in that way. It's just, it's very stripped down and it's very easy to, to, uh, approach and to just try things and
1: feel like you're making progress. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're going to lose, it likely will have happened in the first minute, or two mm-hmm. and uh if you don't li- haven't literally lost in that first minute or two where a big uh mad king face laughs at you uh every time you lose you will have an. night you'll know you'll like most rts is even though it's all in a much shorter uh much shorter time frame you can tell usually within like a minute or two or i'm behind the curve there's no coming back I'm about to lose and then you're done and and you can start over within like you just said within like 10 seconds you can be right back in that match uh and you can just try over and over and over and over um which is good because this game has a pretty steep difficulty curve um you and I both noticed that uh the game has a a a skull because this game is metal as hell skull rating (laughs) system um where whenever you start a match it tells you like how many skulls difficulty it's going to be yeah. one two three four or five and i uh, skull skull difficulties one two and three i think i lost twice total across all of those i think you and had an then, easier time
0: than i did i i definitely still found some of the particularly the threes pretty challenging
1: but not anything where i really felt like yeah, I wasn't throwing my, yeah. my keyboard at the wall or anything. Yeah, th- but skulls four and five, it it escalates pretty quickly. And and they do some uh interesting things to to ramp up the difficulty. So uh, you know, Reagan said at the beginning that you know, most of the time this is symmetrical. One of the most challenging maps in this entire game, uh, it's a four-skull one. It's actually you are in a kingdom, your your citadel's in the middle. And the enemy has two castles mm-hmm. uh, and you're surrounded. Now, they, you only have to destroy one of those to win, but they're able to attack you from both sides. And that uh, brings a whole new challenge. And they really play around with uh, you know how they set up the map. Sometimes the more challenging ones, the, the enemy will have a much bigger zone of control than you do. So they can um, expand their kingdom a lot faster. I also noticed that they use delay in this game as a way to modify difficulty so Mm -hmm. if you know if you notice in the in the one and two skull uh levels and maybe even the three the enemy doesn't actually do anything until several moments into the game their their cursor is moving around but they're not building anything and so what that does is that gives you a head a head start in your resource generation and these games are any rts is at the end of the day like a resource management game and so when you get this head start at the at your resource generation it's going to make the game inherently easier and then as the game ramps up its difficulty the the enemy ai becomes more and more like actually real time and starts the match at the same time that you start the match I think the, the AI in the game is pretty
0: decent, you know, and when you do get into those, uh, those, those, you know, four or five level, uh, matches, they are making a lot of choices very quickly. And, you know, they're not, yeah. they're not, for example, like letting, I, I, as soon as their, uh, as their gold total hits, whatever they're, you know, they're immediately placing a, uh, what, whatever their next building is the very mm-hmm. second they're able to, they're, do, they're not really doing a lot of, uh, waiting around. So you have to get that good too. You have to start uh, taking action very decisively and quickly. Um, and there's a few sort of key strategic things that I kind of gleaned from the game eventually that that helped a lot. Um, maybe maybe Nate can offer better suggestions than I can. But the main things that I'd say about it is, uh, you know, be always have an eye on your gold counter and know what your next action is going to be as soon as you have enough gold to take that action. Um, you know, you don't want to be sitting around waiting while gold is ticking. Um, you want to be spending as much as, as you can, as fast as you can. And then on top of that, a big part of this game is, uh, knowing when to place a building and when to remove a building, because you can destroy Mm -hmm. a building that you've already placed at any point, any of the buildings, you can just take them right back off of the map and you get back half of the cost of building them when you do that, um, So specifically for me with the towers, that was a big part of this, is if I'm trying to expand my territory very quickly, you need to build a tower. And then as soon as you can, you can build another tower a little farther out. And at that point, that tower that's sort of, you know, not on your front lines is basically redundant. So at that point, you can immediately take that tower back and use that gold refund for something else and also use that plot of land for something else, maybe for a new mine or a new uh, barracks. So being able to quickly kind of pivot uh, you know, placing towers, but also taking towers away uh, was a big part of my strategy when I started getting into those more difficult levels.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think that, um, you know, the way they balance this is towers are the cheapest thing to make. They're 25 gold. The next most expensive is mines, which are 30 gold. And then the graveyard is 35 gold. So it's mm-hmm. 10 more gold in order to make a graveyard instead of a tower. That said, I would... Caution against unnecessary spending. If you can wait the extra mm. like ten, 10 seconds to build a graveyard to expand your territory instead of a tower, that graveyard is going to serve a purpose the rest of the game for you. You can mm-hmm. always be streaming out enemies. So uh, if you are constantly sort of building towers just for the sake of expanding your uh, your area then I think you're wasting gold and it is such a finite and specific resource in this game Mm -hmm. that it may be more worthwhile just to wait a little bit longer to build a graveyard than another tower.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And also all of the buildings do offer some level of defense because the way that the Mm -hmm. attacking works when you send, so, you know, if I drag my little line from my uh, graveyard to my opponent's citadel um, the little skeleton, guys have to march all the way across my little line down to attack that, uh, that building. But if there's any building in the way, uh, they have to take that down first. You know, they need a clear path all the way to the citadel in order to really attack the citadel effectively. And so it takes them a lot longer to take out a tower because the tower is fighting back. Um, but even if there's, even if there's something like a mine in the way, it slows down attackers um, so, you know, for me, I really only played with, uh, with towers at my sort of frontier, my border. Mm-hmm. Everything inside my sort of zone of control, uh, if at all possible, I was trying to fill up with something that was generating gold or something that was generating uh, skeletons. Uh, those towers
1: are really just there to kind of block in spots where that's strategic to block. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, one thing that I think is, was surprising and funny, but I think they had to make this choice, but, uh, you, your little warriors, when they are on their little path towards, you know, whatever they're going to fight, uh, they will walk right past the enemy, mm, uh, Yeah, soldiers, there is no like melee combat in this game so you'll when the game really gets going and there's like dozens of little armies marching back and forth it's just it kept cracking me up to see all these soldiers just walking right past each sort other sort of waving at each in. other like hey i'm yeah, going to your that,
0: castle have fun at my <laughs> castle
1: yeah uh, exactly like great. i think the game would have been really complicated if they actually like you know met in the middle and fought and you had sort of like a League of Legends like minion control thing I think that would have been complicated yeah, but that it would have vastly overcomplicated what
0: this what this was all about and yeah. so it, it is a really interesting choice though because RTSs almost always have that sort of you know this type of unit engages with this other type of unit in the middle of the battlefield yeah. and one or the other of them wins right um but there's none of that here this is all about sending uh your dudes after their buildings which is Really interestingly stripped down. Something that I, I don't know if this was make sense, but like something about this really reminded me of like a board game played at extremely high speed. You know, part of that yeah. is just the hex style of it, and the fact that it's so simplified and sort of takes place in this restricted space. So it sort of feels like a board game board, but it also just kind of has this like something about that aspect of like specifically attacking the things that your your enemy has placed. It's not about little dudes clashing swords. It's about deciding, uh, strategically what buildings to focus on taking out basically.
1: Yes. And there is no randomness to this. Um, you know, the, at least the best I could tell, um, the, the, your, your little dudes do a certain amount of damage to a building and they're going to approach that building and do that amount of damage or not. Uh, you know, towers shoot on a consistent amount of time. Everything is very set in motion. And just like a board game, you kind of know what's gonna happen. Um, I would also I mentioned it at the beginning of this, but the fact that you can see the enemy player's hand, Yeah. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. And it's like, actually that's
0: extremely unusual. You can see it's as if they have a cursor on screen, just like you do moving around. So you can kind of imagine you're seeing what they're thinking about.
1: Yeah. You can see what they build, where they build it. You can see where their hand is going. Like, Oh, are they going to build over there? Uh, you know, a huge part of RTS games is the like is the fog of war. you Don't see what the enemy is doing unless you have unless you are there. And even then you don't see their cursor. Mm -hmm. You see the you see the results of the actions that they're deciding to make. And this again, everything is visible to you. So you can you can watch. And in some of the later rounds, it can be really helpful to look. And see, like, where is their cursor? What are they doing? Where are they trying to build? Because then you can try to be ahead of them.
0: That's such an interesting choice. That yeah, I, it, it didn't even occur to me while, while I was playing it that that was, like, I mean, was, of course. But it makes it feel even when you're playing against the AI, like you're playing against another person because you have that mm-hmm. aspect of that
1: interaction. It's really interesting. Um, yeah, it it made me think of um, like uh, Into the Breach too, mm, which mm. does you know uh, mm. it. That's even more forecasted. You yeah, see, yeah. not only you see not only their choices, but what's going to happen before it happens. But I, I think it's a it's a specific strategy game choice for you to be able to see that level of information, uh, and I think it's it's really interesting. Yeah, very much so. Um, I want to talk
0: a little bit about the structure of the campaign because obviously we've talked about like how battles play out but like the campaign as a whole. But it might make more sense before we dig into that stuff. You know, I like talking about some, we can talk about some of the, the quote unquote boss um, battles and things. Um, but uh, before we get into that stuff, I think the, this will make more sense if we take a second to talk about the story, which is funny in, the, or funny is the wrong word. It's just, it's a fun, weird setup for a story. So I want to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what's going on in the world of Death Crown, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's wild. <laughs> so the story of Death Crown is that you you are playing as – the game has uh, actually two campaigns. It started with a single campaign, but they've released a second campaign as DLC. Um, but basically in the main campaign, uh, you are playing as Death or Lady Death. Uh, and Death is depicted in this game in a really super cool looking uh, way. It's very metal. She's this woman wearing a sort of a shroud-like robe uh, with – what I guess is sort of a death shroud around her head that obscures her eyes in a very kind of, I, I say it, it kind of reminded me of a kind of a Guillermo del Toro kind of look to it. Uh, I don't sure. know specifically. Um, it, there's something that it reminds me of that's on the tip of my brain and I can't quite place it, but she's a a woman in a spiked crown whose eyes are obscured um, and she's sort of directing legions of skeletons, you know, with very, very cool looking metal ass shit. Right. Um, but, uh, she is, uh, she is rising up to fight the humans. Um, because presumably this sort of mad King, God, the illustration of the King's face is just gross. He's the, the the, the King of the humans presumably is this, uh, really nasty looking old dude. Who's just got crazy eyes. And, um, so I didn't read the detailed description of the story from the website uh, until after playing the game. Though during the game, I sort of gleaned, okay, death wants to take this king, but he's not having it. And so uh, we now have a war between the skeletons and the, the humans in order to, you know, death wants to take this, this gross looking weird king's soul or what have you, but now we're fighting over it. Uh, Which is cool, right? I love that. It's very, uh, it's very uh, gothic and yeah, you know, wild. Um, If you go to the the website, because I don't think it's in in the game itself. You go to the website, there is a description of the story that doesn't add a whole lot to that, but it is an amusing description to read. Um, So I would recommend going and checking that out. But uh, basically, the 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 key thing is that there is apparently a. Uh, a specific artifact, the death crown, that this is this is a war for the death crown uh, between death herself and the king of the humans. And uh, that's pretty much all the story we get. Uh, there are some really evocative, cool things on the map that kind of imply that, I mean, maybe this is me reading into it, but it kind of implies that the king uh, is uh, has been preparing for this day by assembling... Uh, I guess weird artifacts that are there to help him fight death, and then
1: we get to take them back over the course of the campaign. That's how I interpreted it. I guess that yeah, this this whole thing was so incomprehensible to me. They they, they make these actually, would you call it three D cutscenes? Right?
0: Yeah, they're, like, they're they're I mean they're they're illustrated in in a way that is definitely like. Um, you know, it, detailed and I wouldn't say 3D because I don't think they're doing 3D modeling here, but they're they're at least they're they they do not feel sort of like uh like sprites. They feel like fully illustrated animated cutscenes.
1: Well, sometimes some of the later cutscenes, it, it's like a camera shot because it like mm-hmm. zooms around and like things are bursting out of the ground and you're seeing its depth and it's like spinning around so you can see all the sides of it mm. all the while there's like heavy metal guitar shredding in the background, (laughs) which is sick. (laughs) Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's really incredible. And honestly, so I think the RTS, uh, I think it is a very successful RTS game, but I think it's this stuff that really makes it sort of like stand on its own and be a really unique little piece, little game. It's, it's, I was sitting back going, I have no idea what any of this means or what it's trying to tell me, but I'm having a good time watching this. This is hilarious. Yeah. No, that's what I like
0: about it is like, you know, there is in the, in the kingdom of the humans, there's a giant floating cube chained to the ground. Right. And you have to go fight that giant floating cube and eventually you destroy it and take power from it, which we'll talk about some of those upgrades, I guess, but the uh, that's weird, right? What is the cube? We don't know. Uh, Why does it matter? No idea, but it is important for Death to destroy the cube before she goes after the king. Uh, this is cool, evocative stuff that just, it looks good, and that's all it really needs to do. It just needs
1: to look kick-ass, and that's, it, it is successful at that. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, and then you mentioned the the DLC. Uh, I did go and play through a bunch of the DLC, and it's it's more of the same. However, they they do... They add an element of the uh, the terrain means more, hmm. which was actually a pretty good idea. So they add things like, if you build on a hill, it has more fortification. Hmm. Uh, if you build on a swamp, it costs more to make it. Uh, there, they add forests which you can't build on, but your soldiers can go can pass through. Ah. So it 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 adds an element of like. You can sort of go around the enemy, uh, because they can't build there. Um, and you also, you play as the humans in the DLC, which is a fun little switch because you've been fighting and destroying those building types the whole time you've been playing before. And now you switch and you are building the like windmills and stone towers that humans
0: make. That's awesome. Um, I haven't tried the uh, the DLC campaign yet, but I'm really glad that exists. It, it's you uh, know it, it, it's a, such a short game that I could definitely see somebody like wanting more, and there is a second campaign that you can just up and download, which is great.
1: Yeah, I, I mean that that was me. I I finished the the main campaign uh, in one sitting. You know, I I sat down like I said, it took me like an hour and a half, and I was like, man, that was fun. I actually want more, and I just went downloaded the DLC and started playing right into that. It was it was fun and the only reason I didn't finish that I think is because it was like midnight and I was tired, but I I would have probably been able to play right through that
0: too. Yeah. Um there are some other things that can kind of expand this game. Uh the big one I guess would be the local multiplayer. Now unfortunately it does not have online multiplayer and uh, Nate and I tried this this might not be the game's fault and probably isn't, but we tried to play the local multiplayer using the Steam uh, remote co-op or remote uh, multiplayer feature that was added with great fanfare pretty recently. And we have good internet connection between the two of us, but we couldn't really make it work. We I'm not exactly sure what wasn't working. We were able to connect, but Nate wasn't able yeah. to actually play
1: with me. It seemed like it wouldn't allow him to press certain buttons. It was kind of confusing. It was very strange. Yeah, it's really disappointing because I was – frankly, looking forward to schooling you, right? Yeah, it would have was... been
0: a, a, a slaughter. <laughs> but
1: uh, fortunately, I was spared that
0: because it didn't work. Um, and I'm also really not, I'm not, we uh, you know, because I don't, we're uh, socially isolating right now. I don't have any way to play this locally with anyone really. Um, and so I don't really know what the local multiplayer, how, how that works. I'm curious. Because it seems like when it's talking about local multiplayer, I don't believe it's talking about networking two computers over a LAN. I believe it's actually talking about two people playing on the same machine. And I'm guessing you have to hook up a second mouse and maybe even second keyboard in order to do it.
1: That just seems so out of how people play games together that that doesn't feel right. But based off of how you and I just experienced it. That seems like the only way it I think would that's
0: work. how it's supposed to be done uh, the the game doesn't give you a lot of explanatory text about that, and I don't see anything mentioned in the the like web about it or anything. so um this seems like it would be really fun to play against another human because it's very balanced in that way. It seems like and it's fast, so it's the kind of thing where I think you could get into a game with somebody pretty quickly and enjoy it. I just I don't know how it works, and I'm pretty confused about that feature so
1: yeah yeah i was uh this was disappointing so um uh as i maybe i've I've already said here in this episode rtss have been a big part of my life as playing video games Mm -hmm. and the primary thing i've played them on is multiplayer playing Mm -hmm. online against other people was always my favorite thing of real-time strategy games so probably one of my first ever games that I like really loved was the very first Warcraft game. Mm -hmm. And that really set me off for a long time, really from like, I don't know, like 1998 to like 2000, (laughs) like honestly to like 2011 or something. I was the only video games I was really playing were RTS games or MMOs. Uh, So I played the entire Warcraft series one two and three loved every single one of them played online early early rts online play was a mess and challenging you had to get on like warcraft's battle.net servers it was it was a mess and then the age of Empires series was Mm. my favorite was was probably if you asked me for a large chunk of my life what my favorite video game was i'd probably say age of empires 2 I played a significant amount of that online to the degree where I was playing like all those crazy custom maps that people would make where they would like somehow develop an a 7 person RPG within Age of Empires 2 and that you'd go on to the server and play and play these like sprawling RPGs that people had made within Age of Empires. It was really wild. Or like my favorite one was the uh, someone made a Lord of the Rings map Mm. and it was I think it was seven players and everybody would play different parts of the uh, of the world. Right. So you have two people that were either Sauron or Saruman and then everyone else was and it was like actually super balanced to be five against two, which was crazy challenging to do. I played that like endlessly. Age of Mythology. Uh, the like, uh, mythic offshoot of the age of empires, uh, series, uh, command and conquer Starcraft, all of these were like, I played all of them all the time. If I wasn't playing EverQuest or world of Warcraft, those were the games that I was playing. And that is also why there's this like huge hole in my gaming sort of history, which is basically from PlayStation two and Xbox uh 360 through ps3 and or whatever that era is right Mm -hmm. that like basically the early the first decade of the 2000s of like console games i didn't have any of that because i was only playing these games on my computer uh and so rts games have been a huge part of my life but i really haven't played them for a long time i think the genre itself is like considerably less popular now unless you're in like South Korea, right? Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: And then, you know, uh, we they basically all just play the same game. It's, it's so yeah. much less diverse than it used to be.
1: Yeah. And I think my gaming tastes have changed. You talked about the actions per minute thing. Like that is just, that is so far away from like how I want to play a game, even though I like hard games and Celeste, you know, is one of my favorite games. And I, I worked my way through those sorts of games, that degree of like, requirement of intense constant focus and execution is like not for me so i think the genre has moved a little way from what i like and so when we found this game uh which is probably more simple than i you know i I think I, i there's still room for me to have a more complex rts than this uh i i really enjoyed it really really quickly i was like oh this is this is great i um really really glad that we played it uh, and I was disappointed that I didn't get to play against you. Yeah, Because uh, that would have been fun.
0: I am also disappointed that you didn't get to play against me and completely school me no. because it well, would have we'll been see. a slaughter. But <laughs> well, I'm I, keeping I mean, an eye on. We'll, this. I guess we'll never. I mean, know. you know, hopefully yeah. we'll see like maybe online multiplayer in Death Crown Two or something like that. That would be nice yeah. to see. Um, yeah. But uh, because you know, I, I would love to play this. Even if there wasn't a complex like uh, system for matchmaking or something, it would be really nice to be able to just boot into it and play against you without too much fuss. But seems like it just wasn't wasn't in the cards for us for this
1: one. Yeah. Well, this is. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, we, we're trying to do some more research on the developer, but there's not a lot out there, but it certainly looks like yeah. this was developed by like one or two people. Right. Yeah. And uh, so it's by all,
0: Cosmonaut
1: all- and uh, that has a, a
0: creative spelling, including a numeral. Uh, so check the website. And he also worked with a friend uh, who he, he's, he uh, looks like Cosmonaut initially did the development and art, um, but moved to primarily art and brought in a, a friend to do the, uh, the programming. Um, it's uh Looks like he worked on it over the course of uh, – starting in about um, March 2016. So I looked up uh, – I found a uh, a post that he made on uh, the uh, TIG forum uh, from a little earlier in the development. Saw some interesting-looking uh, versions of the sprites from before the current uh, art. And uh, saw nice. some, some stuff about his uh, development process. Um, looks like yeah. he's been working on this for quite a while. And uh, it shows because it's very, very polished, even though it is sort yeah. of like a – I mean, you know, a relatively compact
1: thing. It's very, very polished. No, there was nothing in this game that I was like, oh, that that that's not like complete or didn't feel right or didn't feel fair. Every time I lost, I just felt like I got beat, you know, which is is the right feeling you want in a game like this and not something where it's like, oh, come on, that's bullshit or whatever. You know, like it always felt fair. Um, if I like, if I lost, it was because I didn't play well, uh, which is a sign of a of a I think of a polished AI. Um, I thought I think it was really well done, and I also wanted to say too, I will I would never fault an indie developer for not uh, including online multiplayer. Yeah, that's of just everything yeah. that I. Of everything I've understood about the development of that, it is that can be more challenging than even just developing like a game itself. So exactly, I
0: know I'm I'm in no way saying that, like counting that against the game in any real way. Like I certainly understand that that's not necessarily something that can be included in every game. Uh, I just, you know, we are in social isolation right now. Like this has a good campaign, but it would have been nice to play this against a person, but that's definitely not possible
1: yeah (laughs) you know it it, it's yeah it's like it'd be nice to have but i think it's like super cost prohibitive for people to put that into a game yeah uh, because you don't know if people are going to use it and you have to pay for all the server space Uh, and i think about like you know towerfall one of my favorite games of all time like i also would have loved if that game had online multiplayer but it didn't and it's fine because you know whenever we're all out of our caves you can get people together to play that game and it'll be fine uh So yeah, you know, maybe if they make a second one, I hope that they do, um, or they continue to expand this one. You know, they already did one DLC. Uh, I think this is a game that's worth checking out. If you have any interest in the RTS, uh, you know, genre, I think that you'll enjoy this game. And if you don't, It's a pretty simple entry point into it. Yeah.
0: Also, it is uh it's available on Steam
1: and itch.io. it is Windows only at
0: this point. I would have uh uh, uh, loved to have seen a at least a Mac port or something, but uh it is just on Windows, uh so be prepared for that. And uh it's uh I think it's $9.99 regular price, and it was on sale for $8.99 or $7.99. I don't. I don't recall. Anyway, it's not an expensive game. You can pop on itch.io or Steam and grab this. Uh, one slightly funny thing that I uh, that they did was that they uh, they have a separate version for Steam. It's the or sorry for itch. It's the itch.io um, edition or something like that. And the only thing that it changes is that there is a dragon that flies around and sort of follows you around. I think it follows your cursor, um, and it does That's absolutely funny. nothing. It, it is visual only. It's just there because he wanted to do something special for people buying the game on Itch. So if you'd like a cool dragon in your game, uh, then buy the
1: game on Itch and support the developer. They get a little extra cash that way. Yeah, well, I'm disappointed I learned this now because of course I want a cool dragon flying around. That's metal as hell. Yes,
0: yeah. Um, so, oh, and I also, also should mention that um, if you want the soundtrack, there is a bundle on Steam. You can pay a little extra uh, and get the soundtrack as well.
1: Cool. I, I liked the music on this game. It's simple, but it was actually a little denser than I was expecting, considering the rest of the game is so simple. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I enjoyed it. I think they it's another part of this game that they that they didn't make too complicated, but I thought it really fit the tone of the game and worked really, really well. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, generally, totally recommend this game. Uh, go check it out. And, uh, since we've got a little time, uh, we'll let's talk about what's making us happy this week. This is one of those weeks where maybe, uh, that's a little harder
1: to, (laughs) to come up with (laughs) than normal. Yeah. Well, it's just every, you know, I, I, I myself, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a a job that has been able to transition 100% to work from home. Um, so I'm spending most of my time sort of in this sort of murky combination of working from home and living at home and just everything being in these same, you know, same house, same four walls, spending a lot of time sitting mm-hmm. in front of my computer. Uh, my job normally is very much a people thing, uh, you know, face to face with people. And now I'm face to face with computer screens all day, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, I'm, I know that I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. And I'm grateful for it. Uh, but it has been a lot of that. And I had an urge, and maybe it was stemmed from Shane in our last episode with making me happy, but – I don't know. I had an urge to, for the first time in a long time, play a retro video game. And huh. Reagan, I know you are like, what do you mean, Shane? Nate, I talk about this on uh, all day. All I talk about is retro games. But um, I had a, I, I bought one of those SNES classics. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the day they came out. Because I never had a Super Nintendo. And there's a bunch of games on there. Particularly wanted to play Earthbound uh, that's on there. And I just never taking the time to the three minutes to download an emulator and like dig in. And so that, well, this will be a good way to get that game and to play it. But I got the SNES classic and it's sat in the box. I got it on day one. So whenever that was, you know, a couple of years ago, it's been sitting in the box until just a couple of weeks ago when I finally got it out, set it up and i looked online and it's super easy to add games to it so even though i'm not i'm not playing the game i got it for i'm actually going through and i'm playing uh super mario 3 which was my favorite nintendo game when i was a kid uh and i love mario games i've played basically all of the side-scrolling, platforming Mario games that are out there uh, that they continue to release. And I think they continue to be good. Um, But I hadn't played this one in a very, very long time. So I was like, I'm going to go through and I'm going to, I want to play through, I want to, you know, essentially 100% Super Mario 3. Um, And to me, that is just beat every level. I don't need to necessarily get all of the secret things, but I want to play through worlds one through nine and actually like complete every level. Uh, and so I'm working on that. I've been, uh, I'm somewhere I'm in world three now, so I've only just really got going on it. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm amazed at how many of the little things that I remember, uh, where all the different secrets are. Uh, I will also say that I know I like to give you shit Reagan for your obsession on, on recreating the perfect retro gaming experience. Uh, but I will say that, uh, I noticed within like 30 seconds of playing on the super Nintendo classic on my, you know, 4k UHD TV, there is like a fraction of input lag between the, between the controller and, and Mario. And that, <laughs> it is so, it's so. It is. It's infuriating. It is, once you, it is. You don't even have as much. Even if you haven't noticed
0: it, it just it throws everything off because those games were designed with very tight timings.
1: Yeah, and and Mar- so again, I, I I love the Mario series. I've kept up with it, and yeah, yeah timing is is a hundred percent of Mario. Mm-hmm. So it is, <laughs> it's been a little more challenging. Make sure you've got game mode turned off
0: or on rather on your TV. Cause that's mm. probably the biggest killer. Uh, and that's
1: a, that's uh, often a per input uh, problem. Um, so, yeah. so my TV does have game mode and it auto switches it for my PS4, but it probably isn't recognizing the classic as a game. Right. Thing. So double check so- that for sure. Cause that's probably the number
0: one, killer um and then uh you know past that with the snes classic there's not a whole lot you can do but it's actually not the worst it's i I don't know how it manages with like uh running an nes game on that thing but it's not the laggiest thing in the world once you've uh got the game mode turned on on your screen
1: it's not too bad that's what i mean it's not it's not horrible Mm -hmm. right i'm it's not like even like a half a second or anything, which would make it like unplayable. Well, Nate, but Nate, let me it's, tell it's you, noticeable. if you decide you'd like
0: to spend eight or nine hundred dollars
1: solving this problem, I can help you with that. No you know problem. what? I think I'm good on that. Um, but uh it is just funny how quickly I, I went from like, all right, I kinda I kind of get what Reagan is going for now with his uh obsession. Um but uh yeah it's been fun. You know, I I'm not someone who tends to um, you know, track in nostalgia very much. Uh, you know, I generally would rather play something new than play something again. Uh, but it has been fun playing the, uh, playing a game that was like a, a big part of my uh, childhood. Awesome. That's a really, really
0: great game. I played through that. I've never played the NES version all the way through. I actually, uh, I beat the Game Boy Advance port of that one, <laughs> which is okay. actually pretty solid, except they added a bunch of sound effects that were a little annoying, but, um, it's a, it's a good port. But uh, it it adds a, a saving system, like a, a more in depth uh, save system than, than than Mario three had, uh, which makes nice. it a lot easier. I've never really gone through it in its sort of original form. Um, well, I guess what's making me happiest this week is that I finally moved into my new house, uh, which is uh, you know this very you know suburb ass house here in uh, in the Houston suburbs, but it's it's an awesome house. Uh, you can probably hear, uh, hopefully not too bad that my audio quality might not be quite perfect here. Cause I haven't had a chance to audio treat my office and the office is larger, uh, which is good, but also bad because it's echoey. So sorry if the audio quality is a little off this week. Um, but, uh, yeah, weird timing in that, like my big plan for this part of my, uh, you know, month basically was going to be, uh, doing a lot of like, buying new furniture and things like that. Now that we've just moved into this new place and then I can't leave my house. So we're trying yeah. to make do trying to get everything as nice and set up and, uh, and tidy as possible, given that it's just, we just moved in and, uh, nothing is quite right, but we're making do. And, uh, it's still been a kind of a nice time, uh, kind of doing all that nesting in as much as we've
1: been able to. So that's sort of what's been making me yeah. happy this week. Yeah, I know you've moved a lot over the last 5 years. I have. I'm hopeful that this one will be a a more permanent residence at least for a little while. Yeah, the plan is this is it. Uh I mean, you know,
0: maybe not until we're all dead and buried or what have you, but uh this is the plan to <laughs> to live here for a good long while. And so we kind of overbought. We bought more house than we probably needed immediately with plans for for future uh, you know,
1: needing needing extra space in various different ways. So <laughs> Yeah, your your CRTV uh, uh CRT TV collection, you really needed that extra. Uh, I mean, room I just do to make plan sure, you know? to expand
0: yeah. it, so yeah. I needed to make sure I had yeah. that extra space for my my large and growing collection of CRTs. I guess actually, if the the one other thing that's been making me happy lately that I haven't mentioned on the show is that I did successfully recap or replace all the not all, but a, a, a large number of the capacitors in the two uh, PVMs, the big, uh, professional CRT monitors that I I picked up at an Mm -hmm. electronics recycler a little while ago. And, uh, another thing that's been making me very happy has been playing on that recently, you know, successfully refurbished monitor. It looks so good guys. It's a big day. It's a big day. looks so good. Okay. Yeah. That aside, uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game. And I hope that you are well, and I hope that you are uh, not just surviving, but uh, you know, keeping your mental thriving. health together and and all of that. No one's thriving right now, Nate. We're all just <laughs> doing the best we can. But I hope that yeah. listeners that you're doing okay. Um, if you uh, if you like the show, the best way to support us is to head to patreon.com. And uh, if you can kick us even just a dollar a month, uh, that gives you instant access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the games that we're playing. We uh, The conversations that happen on this show begin there, and we would love to have those conversations with you. Uh, if you want to suggest a game for the show, uh, obviously Discord is a good way to do that, but you can also find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. We've got a contact form there. Or you can go to twitter.com slash underscore short game you know at underscore short game uh on twitter and uh, you can also find me on twitter i'm at reagan k
1: and nate where can people find you you can find me at twitter.com slash nate stl thank you nate (laughs) and uh, listeners thank you once
0: again for joining us on this episode of the short game